1: Hello and welcome to Secure the Insecure, the podcast where I say it's okay to not be okay. I'm Johnny Sifa and every week I'm joined by one very special guest here to educate you into the unknown. So joining me this week, my guest is something that you wouldn't you wouldn't have heard of. But look, I'm being honest with you, you haven't heard of her. It's someone I work with and I think... This is a really interesting opportunity because I've worked with this person for four years and I don't really know much about her. We sit at our desks every day and we, you know, we make small talk, but I don't know the real her. I always find it interesting that we don't know the real person. You know, you know they're good at their job, but you don't know the real them. And you can't define someone by their job, they're defined by the real them. So I'm delighted to welcome to Securely Insecure, Marta Malagon Manas. Hello, Marta. Hello, Johnny. So if you listen to Talk Radio, you would know her from The Mike Graham Show. Yes. Where you do the Perry Awards. Sometimes. you know you from the John Home Show?
0: Oh, definitely that.
1: Where you used to speak about Patitas Bravas.
0: Yes, and I used to do paper reviews as well.
1: We're going to call this episode starting again. And for those that don't know, you came to the UK... And you basically started again and hmm. you've been given citizenship here and you're here indefinitely now. And I find that really interesting because for me, starting again is going down the road or getting a new job. And that scares me. To actually move countries and actually start again is completely different. So I wanted to talk to you about that. But what I want to do first is get to know the real martyr and the Spanish martyr. So what life was like for you growing up in Spain?
0: I had a happy childhood. I had friends. I was, I, I, I well in school. I didn't struggle or in any way i come from a working class background we had enough but you know i never went on like luxurious holidays or stuff like that but it was fine i'm happy throughout i've got a younger brother and i did used you to know him
1: that? a lot did you notice you weren't going on luxurious holidays or you weren't living the high life like was there a comparison there like here, it was the Hollister, the Abercrombie. Growing up, it was yeah, the more, more, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. There was that, but you know, I was I was going on like holiday, but you know, instead of going to a to the Caribbean, we'd be going to a to a cottage in in the Pyrenees. And was that so. nice?
1: Were you happy?
0: It was very nice, yeah, actually, because I don't like the heat <laughs> and I don't like the beach, really. You know, being being a Spanish person, so it was very nice to to just go to the mountains and have a swimming pool. But yeah, I was aware that we were not ridiculously wealthy, but it was fine.
1: Did that ever make you kind of resent? your parents that why are you not giving me the life that all my other peers have got or i'm so grateful parents that you can take me to that cottage that actually means more to me than going to to absolutely
0: not. i never resented them because my parents they they worked and they still work really hard like i actually i barely saw my dad when i was growing up because he worked such long hours that i never really saw him Um, But no, I I was really grateful because, you know, we didn't go on like super expensive holidays. But, you know, we had private tuition lessons and we went to private school and we had like basically my education was really, really good. And, and, And when it comes to like education and, you know, extracurricular activities, we basically did everything we wanted. It's just that my parents decided to focus the money they had on me and my brother having a good education. That's why, you know, I learned English since I was five. When I was 16, I was sent to Sheffield for a few months to learn English. Why
1: England, though? Why was England the optical American dream, almost, to learn your education?
0: Well, England is just the obvious is the obvious place, because if you're learning English in, in, in Spain, you don't learn the American English, you br- learn the British English. So if you're going to be immersed in the culture, then it's England the obvious place to go. Also, it's like a two-hour flight away so it's not too traumatic, you don't need a visa.
1: So what was it like when you came to England for the first time and you got off that aeroplane, what was that initial reaction for you?
0: I was very scared. I remember I ended up being in Sheffield. I remember, so we came to um, Sheffield via London and Manchester. We got on the couch to go to Sheffield and there were roadblocks or whatever, so it took us a very long time to get to Sheffield, about five or six hours, when I don't think it should be more than one or one and a half. And I remember that I got to the place where I was staying with this family who, they were so nice and they were so amazing and they genuinely treated me as one of their own. I remember I walked in and they gave me dinner and I was sat there having dinner and they were like, oh, do you need to call your parents to let them know that you're okay because you're like super delayed. And, you know, we didn't have mobile phones in those. I mean, we had a mobile phone, but I didn't have internet on my phone, so I couldn't just WhatsApp my mum and say, look, I'm delayed. So they must have been worried, even though they were informed informed. In but way.
1: did you think they cared, though? As in, you're 16, you're independent, you've gone to another country. Do you think they thought, oh, God, my, my daughter, where is she? Where is she? Or did oh, you think yeah. Oh, OK, my daughter's gone. She'll be back in a couple of weeks. Oh,
0: no, my mum's still like that. Very much. My parents, especially my mum, they're very, I don't know if overprotective is the word, but um, I still have to message my mum every day.
1: And do you want uh, to? Do you like that? Do you like that communication and that dialogue of being kind of like you're back at home? Like, I just want to be around my Spanish surroundings and know what's going on in the... I, d- I don't like-
0: mind it. I mean, I, I'm 28 now. And, you know, and sometimes you finish work, you go for a couple of drinks or, you know, or I finish work and I go to the gym and, and or I go swimming. And, you know, if I'm going to go swimming, obviously I don't have my phone on me. And I might not have my phone on me for a couple of hours, but I know that I just need time relax and then if I go back to the locker and I find that she's been texting me like oh my god are you okay you have messaged me today I'm like come on just give me some space but at the same time of course I like to stay in touch it's just that having to do it every day because I have to it's not great because I'm like come on I'm nearly 30. I know she needs that she's much better than she used to be like a couple of years ago she still messaged me in the morning and in the evening Now, we've agreed that I'll just message her when I get home and I'm safe, just so she knows that I'm not dead. Every day? Every day. Wow. So,
1: 16 years old, you're trying to find out who you really are, what your identity is, what mark you can make on the world. What did you think you wanted to do in England? Other than learning to speak English, what did you think your purpose was for being her?
0: I don't know, I think I was just exploring at the time. I was fascinated by everything. I was fascinated by the culture, I was fascinated by the language, but the weather. Because, <laughs> you know, as I said earlier, I don't like the heat. Well, so, you're not getting
1: that hair, I'll tell you that. No,
0: exactly. And they drop you here, and I was wearing a jumper in July, August, and I was like, this is great, guys. I'm loving this. And, you know, and it rains every night, so you wake up in the morning, and it's sunny, but it's cool. So I like that. And, and at the time, I was just exploring. I, I listened to a lot of radio. When I was there, and you know, I listened to a lot of, like, 50 Radio 1, listened to a lot of Capital, and that's how my love for British radio started, and that's how I ended up here in the end.
1: When I think of America, I think of Sirius FM, and I think of Howard Mm. Stern. When I think of Australia, I think of uh, Christian O'Connell, because he was here at Absolute Radio. How did you know what Radio 1 and what Capital was, though? Because they're very British. It's not like a brand like Virgin Radio, which you get in the UK and you get all around Europe. Mm. It's very specialist. So how did you know what they were? I
0: didn't know until Claire, the lady I was living with, she was driving me around to places and she had Radio 1 in the car or she had Capital in the car. And then I, I got familiar with those brands. And then I remember when I go back to Spain, I was like, well, I need to keep working on my English. And the way to do it is to probably listen to British radio. And that's how I got hooked up on it. You know, I said, listen to Radio 4.
1: I mean, you're going really down the, the route, aren't you? Radio <laughs> 1 in capital all the way to Radio 4 on the Times radio.
0: It was just a natural progression. Going from music to speech. And I never really stopped.
1: You've nailed the radio. TV up was the same thing that you're in the home and whatever was on TV, you're watching because you're there. What about...
0: You live? know what they make me watch a lot? Um, Gordon Ramsay.
1: Hell's Kitchen or Kitchen I do not remember Mad? which
0: one it was. But I remember that obviously he used to swear a lot. It still was, does. It still does. But you know, back then and I was shocked. I was like, What was he saying in the earth Like and they were like, No, yeah, well, that's that's who he is. And you know, it was after the watershed, so he was allowed to say them but that really, really shocked me.
1: Interesting. Well I was interested. What else shocked you and or interested you? So how did you create friendships here? And how did you create a sense of belonging? Because we all have a community we belong to. Hmm. So for me, it's being in northwest West London, being a Jewish boy that I know certain restaurants to go to because that's what would be seen as a Jewish restaurant almost, even if it's not kosher. What about you? are you seeking out Spanish restaurants, tapas restaurants or Spanish friends or and having that community? Or did you completely start again? Because I can't imagine Sheffield... Was that vibrant with a dispora of Spanish people? No,
0: and you know what? Sheffield was a completely different thing because, you know, you were dropped in there with, alongside another 25 Spaniards your age and, and then you lived together for a few months and you, you they are your friends for a few months but then you go back home and then that's it. You, you, can, you talk to them for a while and that's it. So I've been continuously living here for over five years now and I came over to do a Masters at Goldsmiths in, in London and... I've never really been that kind of person who's, like, looking for all these Spaniards, you know, like, desperately, like, oh, I'm just going to look for a community. I've always been very much of the school of thought that I'm just, like, going to get along with people that I get along with and I don't really care whether... Obviously, if they're, like, from Spain or Catalonia, I'll have something more in common. And it's nice, it's very nice to be able to speak your own language every now and again. But I've never really minded it. Like, I live with a Greek woman at the moment who's been my friend since the first week that I've been in the UK, I met her at like induction day at uni and she's still my friend and we live together now and it's great. But I don't really think I have a sense of belonging to a community yet.
1: Do you have a sense of belonging to England or do you have a sense of belonging to any community?
0: No. The thing that happens when you've been living abroad for so long is that obviously I, I love it here and this is my home and I want to stay here for a very long time and now that I'm allowed, it's great. But I'm not British and I've not grown up here. And sometimes even talking to you guys in the office, I feel like there are references that I don't get because I didn't grow up here. And when I go back to Spain, I just don't belong there anymore. Because maybe it's because I've grown. Maybe it's because I'm there and I'm thinking in English most of the time and I'm missing, you know, having dinner at six and I'm missing little things like a pret sandwich. Or being able to go to a supermarket, right? Like you go to a supermarket here, and you've got like a big fridge with like food to go, and you could get a kind of Coke or a bottle of water, and it's all chilled and nice. We don't have that in Spain, which is something very silly. You can't get a chilled can of soda or whatever to take away. That's and I noticed not a thing. that on
1: holiday that they always keep the bottles away, but they always they usually have a bottled fridge,
0: only in like touristy areas. So if, obviously, if you are in Las Ramblas in Barcelona, obviously you'll have that that's for tourists but where i'm from which is like the outskirts of barcelona if i'm just popping to shop i can't just buy a can and take it with me and i'm like what the hell i feel lonely sometimes no it's not a permanent state of loneliness but you know every now and again you have a bad day right and um and and you just want someone to hug you and i don't have my mum. i don't have my dad i don't have my brother And it's like, oh, I really wish I could just pop to my parents for, like, dinner or something, just for a couple of hours, and I can't do that. I mean, because I'm a horrible person, because I'm a horrible person. I'm really bad at, like, telling them how I feel. I just don't say anything. I boil it up. And then I wake up one day and I'm like, well, I feel like crap today because I didn't express how I was feeling. So it's tough sometimes, because, you know, you've got to rely on friends. And, you know, the older you get, I find the fewer real friends you've got. Like I found like in my early 20s, like 1920.
1: That's 19 to 20 friends, not being back in the 19th Yes. 20s. No, 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 I'm
0: not that old, yeah. <laughs> no, but you know, when I was 1920 or 20, my circle of friends was huge. But now, the older I get, I literally have like, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight good friends at home in Barcelona.
1: But you've been you've I, been gone for 5 years though. You can't expect to have that many friends because people move on. No, no. No.
0: On. no, but it's it's the same here really. Like, you know, I think that I find like loads of temporary friends. You know that they come and go, um colleagues, people you go to uni with. But then friends who stay like throughout and that you can really trust and you can really talk to and you can be honest and open with them. Probably fewer than 5. And, and, you know, we work in the media business. We go to loads of media events and we know loads of people. So you end up, like, going to the pub with people from a thin tank in Westminster and you end up meeting some other people and then you maybe you meet 25 people that evening and you end up meeting people and you end up going out with them and, and they're not people that you necessarily know, see every day and then, you know, you've got your flatmate whose friends are coming over for Greece and staying over then you know this person who helps you with your moving your, your moving in and out you know, you, it, it happens organically but obviously what I don't have here that you do have and most people have is their family So I can't just pop home for a weekend. I can't, I obviously, like my little world, which is my friends in Spain, I don't have them either. doesn't mean that I'm, I've got no one, because that's not true, but you miss them and it's really easy for me to miss someone and be like, oh, everything's terrible just because I can't see this person right now. And it's very easy for me to spiral. And think that because something's not working or or I can't do this right now, then everything suddenly is horrible and and I should go and cry for three days. Just when I was finishing uni, I was quite depressed for a while. And I was very demotivated. And, you know, I basically had to be dragged out of my student holes because my friends were like, well, are you not going to uni. And it was bad, but... You do some therapy. The most important thing when when things go that wrong is to talk to people and to let people help you.
1: How do you get to that position though? Because in New York, we always say that everyone's got a personal trainer, a therapist and walking around with green juice. Yes. How do you get to that point going, right, I need to talk to a therapist? Because look, you're paying a therapist money.
0: Yes.
1: And it's disposable money. And yes. money you don't really have. And yeah. so when you're going, right, I've got to spend £80 a week now. How you, do you get to that line of going, right, I need to speak it out?
0: Well, in my case, it's it's quite easy because when when I did it, like I, I, I felt that I didn't have anyone to talk to that would understand me because I felt that I needed to talk to someone older, someone with more life experience than I had at the time, and I felt I needed someone to tell me what to do, basically, and and tell me that you know that everything is going to be okay. You just need to carry on and 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 you'll be fine. I've always been really open to the idea of doing therapy. I've not, I'm have i not the kind of person who thinks, oh, if, if you're going to see a therapist it's because there's something really wrong with you. I think we should talk and I think that we should be really open up about mental health. The same way you go to your GP because you've got some physical issue, then go to see a therapist because you've got a, a mental health problem. It doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. It's just that maybe you just don't know how to get through a certain situation or you're getting really sad lately and you don't know why and you don't know if it's circumstantial or it's temporary or it's something deeper. So for me, it was an easy choice, really. It was like, all right, I'm going to try this and see what happens. And it worked.
1: So bringing it together then, you joined Talk Radio, which is where Mm. you've been for the past four years. Mm -hmm. Did that give you that sense of belonging that you earned for in the United Kingdom when you moved here?
0: it did give me a, a yes not belonging but it gave me a sense of okay this last year and a half that I've been here it's worth it like good things come out of work and and being on my own and, and basically yeah working really hard like I thought well good things come out of it so it's worth and I, and I thought to myself because when I finished uni like I I basically packed up my bags and, 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 and escaped to Spain because I was like, I can't deal with this any longer. And then I came back, obviously. But I was like, well, if I hadn't come back, then I wouldn't have this now. And with hindsight, I think, well, obviously, the the, the good decision was to come back.
1: And is that because you pushed yourself out of your comfort zone or do you think you'd have been happier actually being in your comfort zone back in Spain?
0: Oh, I am. I'm an idiot. I'm always pushing myself out of the comfort zone. Like, I'm going to... Events that in which I don't know anyone and I and I have to talk to people like I I I keep doing that it's ridiculous I keep I don't know why because I hate it in the moment and I think that's the whole reason why as well but I came to live here is because I was like well I I really want to do this and then it was really scary and for the first week I was like what the hell am I doing in this country and that was nowhere near my comfort zone at all
1: but I completely admire you for that because I go to a lot of events as well different types of events that you go to and I hate them.
0: Yeah.
1: I like seeing a couple of people that I know and I know will respect me, but I'll wait for people to come to me rather than me go to them. Because I'm like, well, you might reject me. And I'm very scared of rejection.
0: Oh, yeah, me too.
1: So doing that and leaving your comfort zone and not having, you know, that grounding and that and that serenity. I want to ask you about your tweet you did this week. So <laughs> you've put, hey, guys, I've been granted settled status. And you had 896 comments, 310 retweets <laughs> and eight and a half Thousand likes at time of writing,
0: which is crazy.
1: You've got just under three thousand followers. So, I mean, look, let's be honest. Out of those interactions, you've had nine thousand interactions, and you've only got three thousand followers. said yeah. a lot. But yeah, that being said, how did that make you feel that that many people were because you didn't hashtag Brexit, you didn't hashtag no. any of these things?
0: No, the reason why I put it out, it's because. For a European to get settled status, it means that you've got unlimited right to live and work in the UK. So I wanted to make very clear that I've got the right to work here. I wanted to tell the world that, hey, I'm legal. I can live here. I can work here. I can use the NHS. I've got right to everything. Because lately... I've been getting some abuse from people on Twitter saying, you know, stop moaning about things, go back to where you came from, um, you shouldn't even be able to use the NHS, like blah, blah, blah. It's a, it's a it's a minority, but it really annoys me. So I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to put this out, shut them up, hopefully. And I was expecting I would get maybe 40 or 50 likes from the people I know that'd be like, oh, really pleased for you, really happy for you. And maybe it would keep the trolls away for a bit, right? Because I work with my Graham and people who hate my Graham sometimes come after me. So that's what I was was hoping to do. I was hoping to say to these people, stop sending me abuse because you know, I'm I'm a hard working citizen and I've got the right to moan about things if I want to because I was moaning about paying too much tax the other day and people were like well if you don't like it then go back to spine and I was like mm, I can still moan about paying too much, sta- too much tax and not want to leave and I can still and then it went out of proportion and I got really scared because my phone was constantly going off and I was like what the hell and I, and at one point I was like I really, I really want this to stop because also I was getting comments from loads of people most of them saying very nice things at the odd we're happy to have you here and that's great but you know it's only because you're white and I was like whoa I don't like that kind of people following me
1: so (laughs) that self-belonging of that self-worth did that tweet solidify that number one I've done the right decision and number two as this podcast has called starting again that you actually have officially started again it's all been building up to this moment
0: in a way and you know, uh, and you know, having this thing, which is settled status, which is literally an email, it's not even a piece of a piece of paper that they send you in the post. It means that I don't have to pack up my bags and go unless I really want to, and it gives me a sense of stability that I. I didn't have before and it means that my employer is not going to come to me tomorrow and say, actually, we're getting rid of you, not because you're useless or we don't like you, not because we don't know after the transition period if we're going to have to sponsor your visa and we're going to have to pay for it or not, whatever. So it's given me a huge sense of relief as in, okay, if I leave, it'll be because I did something really wrong, which is not in my plans at the moment. Or because I want to, but not because I have to, and I think that I've been substantially very scared for the last couple of years since we saw we've been seeing that you know Brexit is definitely going to happen, that I was going to be told to yeah sorry you've got to leave now and that's it we don't care because if I were if I went went back to Spain now that would genuinely be starting again because I'm I'm far two in into our career in the UK media industry to just like go back to Spain and I'd basically be an intern there and you know I don't want to be an intern on in 30. My family there's still a safety net in the sense that if things really really go wrong I can get on a flight and go see them and if things went really, really wrong, let's say I got evicted and and, and I got fired and I didn't have a, 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 any money. Like I could literally pack all my things and get on a flight to Spain and have somewhere to leave. I wouldn't end up on the streets. And I know that they really care for me and I know that they're for me if I need them to be there for me. It's just that I'm an idiot and I'm really bad at, at saying to my mom, actually, I need you. But, you know, I do every now and again.
1: Why do you think that is, especially with girls? Because girls are supposed to be easier to talk to their parents. Why do you think in today's society in Britain and in Spain that we're still not good at talking to our parents, the one people that we should actually be able to speak to?
0: To be honest, I don't know if that's just um if that's a society thing or that's just me. I think it's just me.
1: We're talking about starting again on secure the insecure. Do you wish you could say that and start again now and start telling people that you need a hug or start telling people that actually today I'm not okay?
0: Yeah, but I don't know what it is that I need to do to get to that point. And, 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 you know, there are some people to which, a handful of people, to which I feel like I'm comfortable doing that, but not always. (laughs) So, yeah, I wish I could be more open about what I need. I wish we all were more open, actually.
1: Do you think, as you're Spanish and living in Britain, that there's a difference in the signs to know when to ask for help and the signs for us going, I can see you're having a bit of a bad day today. I can read in between those lines. Because if you look at someone, you know, like an American who's very brash. Mm. And you look at a German who says it quickly could be very rude. Mm. Do you think that we know how to read you properly? That you give out the right signs? That we know, right, okay, Marta's not having a good day. Let's talk about it.
0: I don't know. I think the culture is quite different, so I think in Spain it'll be easier to spot because we're warmer. I don't mean warmer as in you guys are cold, because not necessarily. We are, we but are. I think That's
1: dumb.
0: well, I think I think it's harder for you guys to talk about your feelings and 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 than it is for us, and and it's harder for you guys to cry in front of someone than it is for us. Like I've I've, I've seen people cry at work, like watching a a Christmas advert in Spain and it's not necessarily a cry of sadness it's just like oh my god that was really emotional oh my goodness whereas I haven't seen that here and I think some people here they can read that something's not quite right but they can't really say oh my god are you okay whereas I find that with the very few Spanish friends that I've got here it's very easy for them to spot when something's wrong and you know and I was actually upset about something earlier today and one of my Spanish friends I, I talked to her about something else and she called me about half an hour ago being like what's wrong and I hadn't really said that something was wrong but she knew we're very close so <laughs> but still it hasn't been noticed by anyone else so I don't know it might it might be a cultural thing yes
1: right so final question this podcast about you starting again Marta what would you tell your 16 year old self now so going back to when you're just about to get on that airplane to come over to the UK to go to Sheffield for the first time what would you tell yourself
0: don't be scared be strong it's all going to be fine
1: You've been listening to Secure the Insecure, presented by me, Johnny Seifer. If you've liked what you've heard, please do rate the podcast, like the podcast and share the podcast. I can't make this podcast successful without your help. And look, an amazing girl, Martha Malagon-Manash, you might not have heard of her, but how many times have you heard from someone from another country who's come and been so brave to start again here in Britain? And we're not open-armed. We don't let people in. We don't like people joining our comfort zone we don't like people joining our bubble we set our parameters and that's what we stick to so to hear from someone to go actually i have come here and it has been hard does that make you feel guilty and also do you work with someone that you don't really know you might have been working with them for years and years and years and how many times have you actually taken the time to ask them how they are ask them what their history is we're with these people more than we're with our own girlfriends and wives you know, we're with someone eight hours a day. But we never really want to know the real them. We need to change that. I've been Johnny Lee Seifer. You've been listening to Secure the Insecure. Until next time, thank you and goodbye.